First Peter chapter 1. Jesus said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you, what? Love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The defining characteristic of God's people, the the way that people outside of God's people know that we're the disciples of Jesus isn't because we wear crosses as necklaces or lapel pins or as tattoos. There's nothing wrong with wearing crosses. That's fine. But that's not how we're primarily known as the disciples of Jesus. It's not because we carry big Bibles around, though it's certainly fine to carry a big Bible around, especially if you intend to read it. That's a wonderful thing. But that's also not the distinguishing characteristic or mark of God's people. The way that the world can look at us and and tag us and ID us as the followers of Christ is by the way that we love one another. We've been looking at 1 Peter, and we're back in 1 Peter today, page 1200, if if you haven't found it yet. Um, And just to remind us what Peter is all about, 1 Peter is a letter written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, to Christians. And, And really the thrust of this letter, the overarching main point, is to help Christians think through what it looks like to live for Jesus in a world that rejects Jesus. What do you do when you're a kind of moral and religious minority? Uh, That was certainly true of the Christians living in the Roman Empire, but what we're finding is this is a really helpful letter for us today as Christians living in America. As we continue to see our culture drift in a kind of post-Christian direction, or maybe sometimes not drift, like accelerate in a post-Christian direction. As we see that, that biblical beliefs about God, a biblical worldview, is sounding more and more weird to our culture. When, when biblical understandings of what's right and what's wrong seem more and more backwards to our culture. And, and suddenly, as Christians, we're finding ourselves at the kind of periphery of our own society, viewed with suspicion or confusion, and sometimes hostility and rejection. And, and that's not where the church in America has been for a lot of America's history. And so Christians like ourselves, we're disoriented. We, we think, what's going on with our country? What's happening? Where's it all going? What are we supposed to do? And we find that Peter's letter to those Christians in the Roman Empire almost 2,000 years ago speaks with fresh relevance to us today. And one of the things that we are to do, one of the ways that, that we face this dilemma is that in the midst of this culture that's moving away from the things of God, that we need to come together even more so, and be a body of people who really love one another, that we're to be a community of love, that by this the world will know that we're the disciples of Christ if we love one another. Look at First Peter chapter 1. Today we're looking at verses 22 uh, all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. And this is the commandment that Peter gives to the Christians. Let me read these verses, then we'll dig into them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So there you have the command in verse 22. He tells the Christians there to love one another deeply. This is a series of commands in this passage. We were told, uh, if you remember back three weeks ago, in verse 15, to be holy. In verse 13, to prepare your minds for action. So he's telling the Christians, this is how you need to live. And then he comes to this great command to love one another deeply. Verse 22, now you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. In other words, you've heard the gospel. You've received the gospel. Christ has come into your hearts and into your life. You're now a follower of Christ. Therefore, love one another deeply from the heart. It's a call to love. In some ways, I was thinking about this, the call to love, in some ways, is not that controversial, is it? Like, you, you know, you, you say, yeah, Christians are supposed to love one another, and it's not really a concept that people are going to stumble over too much in our culture today, even in our world. I mean, pretty much people today are kind of pro-love, aren't they? I mean, if you go find the average person and stop and shop, and you're like, you know, taking a little quiz here, love, for, or against, most people would be like, for? <laughs> love is good, Right? You know, I mean, one of the biggest insults you can give anyone in our culture today is calling them a hater. Oh, don't be a hater. Hater gonna hate, 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 right? Don't hate. Love, right? So, so we all think love is good. Turn on the radio, you're gonna hear love songs. Um, if, in fact, you know, you go in any church, even churches that, that are what we might consider to be theologically liberal, that do not hold to the Bible really being God's Word, that don't preach salvation through faith in Christ alone, the historic Christian faith. Even in those churches, what are you going to hear? Love, love. And so love is, you know, everyone's kind of pro-love. Um, so is this really anything remarkable that Peter is saying here? Well, you know, it depends on what you mean by love. And the kind of love that Peter is talking about here is a remarkable kind of love. It's a, it's a robust, powerful kind of love. See, I, I think when, when our culture talks about love, it's often a kind of shriveled, shrunken, minimalistic sort of love. You know, it's love like personal preference. Oh, I love pizza. You know, I love, you know, the Patriots. Or I love, you know, it's like, well, it's just kind of preference, right? Or sometimes people talk about love as, as purely just romantic love. Uh, or let's even be more blunt, it's love is just kind of basically sex. It's been reduced to that. Or, or sometimes love and the way the culture uses it is, uh, it, it means something just like, don't be judgmental. So you, know, you do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. I won't say you're bad. You won't say I'm bad. 
And therefore, we have now loved one another because we haven't judged one another. So, so it's sort of a, a, just sort of a vapid coexistence where, where you, you know, maybe with a few random acts of kindness sprinkled in. Right? And so you have, you know, coexist, don't judge. A few random acts of kindness equals love. And, and I suppose that those are all parts of love, but, but what Peter is talking about here is something that is profoundly more rich and powerful. I mean, look at, look at how he qualifies love. He doesn't just say love one another. He's got all these qualifiers around it. I mean, first of all, verse 22, it's a love that comes out of obeying the truth. And the truth we're talking about here is the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. So for us as Christians, when we start talking about love, our baseline is Jesus bled for us. You know, this is how we know what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So our baseline for defining love as Christians is the gospel message that Christ died for our sins. No greater love has there ever been than what Christ showed us by sacrificing his life to save us. But there's even more. Look what else he says in verse 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so the truth of the gospel is defining love, so that you have sincere love. So love has to also be sincere. Um, the Greek word here is, is actually the Greek word for hypocrite, uh, hypocrites, which is where we get our word for hypocrite, with an, an alpha in front of it, which makes it a negative. So it means unhypocrite. Love each other in an unhypocritical sort of way. Don't be two-faced. Don't be phony. So, so that when, you, you know, I'm talking to you and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, hey, brother, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, great. You know, good to see you, brother. Good to see you, sister. You know, I'm not turning away going like, oh, my goodness. You know. <laughs> Look, if I say I'm going to pray for you, then when I turn away, I pray for you. And if I call you brother, then I'm going to treat you like a brother. So it's, it's not fake love. It's not two-faced love. Uh, it's, it's not hypocritical. So it's based in the gospel. It's not hypocritical. It's familial. Look at verse 22. Love one another, uh, or rather, have sincere love for your brothers. There's a, just a Greek word there. It's brotherly love based on uh, Philadelphia. It's, it's brotherly love. In other words, love each other like family members. That's a deep kind of love. Again, you know, that's, family love is great. Because in the family, you know, you can just have it out, right? You can go through stuff and you can say stuff to each other, but at the end of the day, you're family. Uh, my wife and I recently watched The Godfather again. I hadn't seen that in years. Marlon Brando's Vito Corleone, you know, he's always talking about the family. You know, <laughs> your family, you've got to take care of the family. I mean, even... Vito Corleone, a brutal murderer, knows the value of family, right? There's the spiritual lesson there. (laughs) Everybody gets family love. In family, you know the worst about each other. You're committed to each other. Family is not like, you're okay, I'm okay, let's coexist and not judge each other. Family is in each other's business and all this stuff and, and annoying each other sometimes and driving each other crazy. But at the end of the day, you, you do anything for family. Someone needs something, you just do it. Because it's family. 
And so there's a family kind of love here. This is a serious love, serious. Or look at the next phrase in verse 22. Again, further piling on adjectives and modifiers to this kind of love. He says, love one another deeply. Or that word can be translated fervently. There's some emotional heat behind this love. We actually feel something for each other. We, you know, if, if, if I love you and you love me and you're going through a really terrible experience, that should, like, that should bother me. It, it should affect me. It's like, oh, you know. I know some of us have been following the, just the tragic story of, of Chris and Michelle Williams and him passing away, and I've talked to you, and you've been affected by that. It's, ugh. Some of us have shed tears that's fervent love where we, we really feel it for each other. And when you're doing really well, I should feel really happy for you. And then that last phrase, which really I, I think is saying the same thing as fervent love. It's from the heart. From the heart. This is the real thing. It's coming from within, loving each other. This is a biblical kind of love, not just empty romance, you know, not just hooking up, not just, um, you know, not hating, but, but really caring for each other. It's, it's amazing the kind of love that we're supposed to have that's ultimately grounded in the gospel itself. I think this is really important to keep reminding ourselves of because, because it's, a, it's a picture of the church that is different from the kind of picture of the church that I think we, we get communicated to us through American evangelicalism. In other words, this is a picture of the church as a loving family where people know and love each other. And, and I think a lot of times what, what's kind of telegraphed, or at least maybe, maybe you're not picking this up, I pick it up, that sort of rather the, in American evangelicalism that the, really the church is not so much a loving family, but it's more a kind of service provider of spiritual goods and services, you know, like a good sermon. I go to church to get the products, to get a good sermon. I go to church to, to get the music that I like, or I go to church to, um, you know, get a certain program for my family that helps me. And so, so because we've been so profoundly influenced by consumerism, I, I think it's deeper and more profound than any of us realize how it's shaped our, our mental habits and we come at everything as consumers. It's just our natural default setting that we always have to be fighting. And we even come to the church as consumers. You know, do I like the, the sermon I'm getting? Do I like this that I'm getting? Do I like that that I'm getting? And if I don't like it, well, maybe I'll go to another store and see if they have the product that I'm looking for. And, you know, that's just so foreign to the biblical view of the church, which is a family where the primary thing I'm doing on Sunday morning is I'm coming not to not to get goods and services, but really to give, to give worship to God and to give love to others. So that I'm coming into church praying, Lord, help me today to really worship you. And Lord, put someone in front of me today that I, I need to love so that I'm coming as a giver, not as a taker, not as just a consumer. And so I think this kind of vision of a loving church is powerful and it could be very transformative for us. So how are we doing at love? How is our church doing at being a loving church the way this is? I'm sure we're not perfect, but are we on the way? Do we see signs of this? Or maybe we could make that question a little more personal. How are you doing at being a loving church member? 
How am I doing at being a loving church member to other church members? Am, am I really learning and growing and loving one another deeply from the heart, like Christ's love, sincerely, brotherly love, all of those qualifiers? Is that the kind of love that I'm learning? Am I growing in love in that way? How do we become a more loving church? What do we do? How, how do we get there? Because I'm sure we can grow in it. I think one way, one thing we have to do is start with the basics. We have to know each other. Can't love someone you don't know. It's not real love. Not this kind of love. This kind of love, like you've got to actually know someone. You actually have to get into each other's lives a little bit and interact. It's that we have to know each other. So do you, do you know anybody? Are, are you and I taking steps to, to get to know each other a little bit more? Maybe that means um, getting involved in a growth group. We talk about growth groups a lot. It's one of the main ways our church connects and fellowships. Um, maybe that means you go to a Sunday school class, or maybe that means the person that you, during the greeting time, were like, hello, hello, you know, before you leave, instead of it's like, you know, end of the service, go, right? But instead, just say, hey, what was your name again? Oh, where are you from? Oh, nice to meet you. Have you been here a long time? Are you new here? I've been here 40 years. Oh, ha, 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 okay, whatever. <laughs> Get over it, and then just talk. Maybe it means, um, you know, coming to an event. You know, we had the missions conference this last weekend. Like, if you come to those kind of fellowship events once in a while, you can you could bump into people. But but if you never have any places in our, if we never have any places in our lives where we're colliding with one another, where we're bumping into each other, th- there's never even a chance for getting to know each other to happen. And I think even for those of us here who are introverted, even those of us here who are Maybe you're like, I'm not introverted, I'm antisocial, right? <laughs> I just really don't like people. I mean, even if that's you, and, and you think, you know, being a hermit is actually a desirable career. <laughs> even for us introverts, we still have a relational dimension to the way God made us. And even we can have a friend or two. And even we can get to know someone, even if they're quiet, and say, do you want to ever get together and have coffee or something or whatever? Go out to, go out to lunch after church. I'd love, to ha- I'd love to see a culture develop in our church where, where the really exciting thing that's happening in our church is not the sermon, but it's the between each other, and it's the, t- the conversations and the care for each other, and it's the, hey, let's, you know, I just met, you know, let's go out to lunch after church, and, and the kind of lingering in relationships with each other. That kind of love is, is amazing. So we've got to know each other. And then even when we know each other, even when we're, we're starting to have interactions with each other, those interactions, I, I, some of us are there, right? Some of us are in growth groups. Some of us do have Christian friends in the church. You do know people. Then here's the next step, and this is one where I, I feel like I need to grow in too, really, is, uh, is sort of going beyond sort of superficial conversation about like, whoa, I sure got cold this week, and you know, you got your yard cleaned up, and you know, boy, the pats are going to, those giants are going down. I mean, that's great. Have those conversations. But, you know, turn that corner to go just a little bit deeper. Like, how are you doing? You know, how's, 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 how's your job? How's, if they're married, you know, how's your spouse? Um, if they have kids, like, tell me about what's going on with each of your kids. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. And, and then, you know, it's as we kind of get a little deeper and open up our lives a little bit, that's when these kind of contact points where we can apply love really start opening up, you know, you find out that somebody is, they're out of work. And you go, oh, 
what do you do again? Oh, I'm in this field. I know like three people in that field. Can I do a little something to connect you? I mean, those are acts of love. That's where we're taking love out of just the theoretical and we're, we're just applying love to the actual situations, to the sore spots and the wounds on the other person. We're applying the salve of love and taking care of each other. Or, or they're just like, you kind of get the vibe as you're talking to them. You think, wow, this person's really lonely. Maybe I should, maybe I should take them out to lunch or something or hang out with them you know, once or twice. It's amazing what little gestures can do, little gestures of love. But you don't know, you won't know that if you never know anybody. And we also won't know that even if we do know each other, that there's a kind of just superficiality to our fellowship. And so I just want to encourage you as a church, as you have those conversations, just that, that you just take that step and go a little bit deeper. You know, press a little further, ask a little more you know, how can I pray for you? I mean, that's always a good Christian question, but like, you know, really mean it. Like, what can I really pray about? Oh, everything's going great. Really? You know, because everything's not going great for me. Here's something you pray about for me, and you know, maybe open up a little. And, and then as we do that, that's the context in which love actually takes shape and begins to function as we care for each other and as those opportunities arise. Obviously, there's too many people in this room for all of us to know personally and to love deeply and to get involved in each other's lives. But you can know some people. Even the introverts can know one person. And we can know each other and love each other and, and love will grow from there. But there's something else we need to obey this commandment. It's going to take more than just some social engineering to be able to love one another deeply will take more than just a really good growth group program in the church. It's, it's going to take more than programming. It's going to take more than just a few more potlucks. Because you can have all that stuff in a church. And a lot of churches do have fellowshipy kind of things. And yet there isn't a culture of love. There's something else that's needed. And the thing that's needed is a heart with love in it. We need to be people with new and loving hearts. Look at verse 22 again. Love one another deeply from the heart. There must be something different in the heart where there's love coming from within. And praise God, God gives us that love. Look at verses 22 to the end of the chapter. For, he says, you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So there's a, there's a con- connection here. Love one another, and then for, because, here's the reason, you've been born again. So that being born again is, is what enables us to love. The, the reason that he can give a commandment like love one another super intensely as brothers and sisters and all this kind of stuff, the reason we can have a, a chance at obeying that commandment is because something else has already happened, which is we've been born again. Now, this idea of being born again, this is not the first time Peter's brought it up. It, actually, he brought it up back in verse 3. Look back at verse 3. Where Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We, we have a new birth inside of us. 
Um, we, we, we are born anew. Um, so in Peter's mind, and really this is, the, Peter got this from Jesus, this is the teaching of Christ in John chapter 3, but, but really to be a Christian is to be born again. If, if you're not born again, you're not really a Christian in the biblical sense of the word Christian. In order to be a Christian, you must have an experience called being born again. Biblically speaking, there's no such thing as a not born again Christian. They're actually just synonymous phrases. To be a Christian is to be born again. So what does that mean? How are you born again? Well, obviously, it's not talking about a literal physical rebirth. This is not like I got reincarnated and I was born again or something like that. This is not physical. In fact, he says that in verse 23. You've been born again not of perishable seed. In other words, not of earthly stuff, not, not like the, the perishable seed that literally physically goes into the woman's womb and, and there's a conception and a baby, but, but it's, it's an imperishable seed. In other words, it's spiritual through the living and enduring Word of God. It's a, it's a rebirth of the soul. It's, it's a new spiritual life that, that comes into existence within us. There's something new in us that wasn't there before, a new life from an, an eternal living seed, which is God's Word. And then in verse 24, he backs it up with a reference back to, of all texts, Isaiah 40, which we studied last Sunday. So now that you're all experts on Isaiah 40, you'll remember this. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So Isaiah's contrasting human glory and human reality and earthly things with the divine, with God. And everything in this world fades like grass. Everything in this world, you know, our bodies, our glory, our money, our minds, um, it all fades and we eventually die, and all the things we build and strive for die. It's like a flower. You know, one day it's in bloom, you come out the next day and it's a little bit brown, you come out the next day and you cut it off because it's past, right? I just had my 45th birthday. I feel the flower beginning to fade. <laughs> just a little bit. You know, I go work out in my basement. I can still work out pretty hardcore, but you know what I notice? I need to nap really after that. <laughs> I didn't need to nap before. And the next day when I might have gone and worked out another time, I go, maybe I'll just take another day off. Oh, yeah. So the flower is beginning to fade. That's what we do. We, we, we fade. But there's a new seed. There, there's a new seed that's not human seed. It's not of this perishable earth. It's something that's come from God, from God's throne. Anything from God is eternal, and it's His Word. His Word has come into us, and that has caused a rebirth. And then I love at the end of verse 25, this is the Word that was preached to you. So, so take these verses in reverse order, and, and we'll put it all together. So the Word is preached to you. You hear the gospel message. That's how it all starts. Somehow, whether through a sermon or a friend or watching TV in a Billy Graham crusade or reading your Bible or whatever, somehow you hear the gospel. You hear the amazing news that 
that even though we are sinful people, even though we, we are, are shamed and dirty, and even though our lives are broken and sinful and messed up and banged up by our own choices, even though we have no chance of getting to heaven because your good deeds and my good deeds are just fading flowers, they don't last, even though we are in a hopeless situation, God, in an act of amazing love, sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to save us. The gospel is the message that hopeless sinners like us, and please understand, without Christ, you're hopeless. You have no hope in your own efforts and good deeds. But God has done a rescue effort, the ultimate rescue effort. He sent His Son Jesus, who in the act of greatest love, poured out His life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And now we can be forgiven and restored and renewed and can have a new life in God. So, so anyway, that's the message. That's the seed. That's the word that you hear. And what happens is that word, you hear it, and in God's sovereignty, God uses that word to, to start a new thing in your heart. You're born again by hearing God's word. It changes the soul so that where there used to be no faith, there's now faith. God's word is, is active and it's effective. God's word is not just words, but, you know, look at verse 23. It's living, right? God's word is, a, is virulent. It's potent. It, it acts. It, it does things on its own. That's why we have to keep the Bible at the center of everything we do. That's why, you know, all the preaching from this pulpit needs to be from the Bible. That's why the songs we sing need to have Bible soaked into it. That's why God's Word needs to be what we teach our kids, and that's why if you have your growth group, please spend some time studying God's Word. And that's why we need to read the Bible on a regular basis. And that's why if you're talking to someone who's not a Christian and and they want to learn more about Christianity, one of the best things you can do is say, would you read the Bible with me? And it's, it's because, not because we're trying to be Bible wonks or trying to have some kind of academic cerebral faith. It's because this is where the power is, man. You know, this is what changes people, is God's Word. It, it's like gene therapy, where, where they actually put new DNA in the cells, and it changes the cells. So God's Word does this kind of gene therapy on our unbelieving souls, and, and we're changed. We're born again. It's such a remarkable thing that God does. And then as a result, we're different. We're born again. Where there used to be no faith, there's suddenly faith. Where I used to have really no feelings toward Jesus, I mean, yeah, he's a good guy, I'm sure. I now suddenly love Jesus. Why do I love Jesus? Why is it that when we start singing songs about Jesus, I'm crying? What happened to me? You're born again, you have a new heart, you love Christ. I used to read the Bible and made no sense, and now I can't stop reading it. You're born again. You know, I, I, oh, something's different. I, I used to do all these bad things and didn't think another thing about it, and now when I do the bad things, I feel really guilty. You've been born again. You're a new person. The Holy Spirit is in you. God has changed you. That's what it feels like to be born again. And it changes our hearts. We're rewired God has put a new principle of spiritual life and righteousness inside of us that's alive and coming from without. Can can I just pause there and ask you, 
if you've been born again, oh, if you have not been born again, you, you need to seek this new birth. I'm not asking if you believe in God. I'm not saying, do you like my preaching? I'm not saying, do you, you think church is a good thing? I'm saying, have you experienced this heart transformation where you now have love for Christ and love for his word? Not that you're perfect or have achieved perfection, but that there's something changed in your heart toward Christ. If, if you've not experienced that, oh, I just encourage you to cry out to God for that. Even if you're not really a praying man or woman, start, that, start there with your prayers. Oh, Lord. I need a new heart. Oh God, give me a new spirit. God, save me and and give me a new soul. I want to be born again, God. I can't make it happen any more than a baby can make themselves born again. They're just born. Lord, make me born again. Cry out to God for mercy. The good news about Jesus Christ is that he has the power to make us born again. He had the power to say to Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. And he has the power to change dead hearts like ours through his powerful word that still speaks. Okay, let's connect these dots then. We have two big ideas I put on the table. Idea number one, love one another. Idea number two, because you've been born again. Do you see how they connect? Let's try to weave this together now. Love one another. Why? How? Because you've been born again. So it's being born again that then is the power and the life that enables us to start to love one another. We can love one another because of this new birth that we've experienced. That's the logic here. We've been given this new principle. Or here's another way to think about it. We've been born again into a new family. So love one another. Because now you've been born into this new family of people who've all been born again. Uh, You've become a family. Being born again is not merely a personal private transformation, though it is, but it also, when you're born, you're born into a community of people. So now we're part of this family. I mean, look at all the family language in this chapter. Look at verse 14. He says, as obedient, what? Children. Do not conform to the evil desires you used to have. Verse 17, since you call on a Father, family language. Verse 22, have sincere love for your brothers, your brothers and sisters, your family with each other. So we're born again into this family, and and so we're called to love each other. It's not just the church is like a family. The church is a family. If, If you're born again and I'm born again, we're actually more family than our blood relatives. Because our blood family will fade away because the grass withers and the flowers fall. But there's a new family we have that's from God's word in us that lasts forever. It's eternal. And so there's, there's a family connection here that's so wonderful. And, and many of you know this. Many of you um, you have had this experience, those of you who are born again, where you meet another Christian from some other place. You've had this experience you go to another country, you go to another part of the world, you go to another church, and you get to know people and you start talking to people, and then suddenly you realize there are, there's a, there are Christians too, and it's like there's this thing in you that just kind of leaps toward them. You're like, ah, brother, sister. It's the weirdest thing, but it's real. 
you know? And you feel love and connection between other Christians. It's very bizarre and very wonderful. One of the things that, that was really hard for me as I was processing this whole call to, to leave this church and go to another church uh, overseas, one, one of the things I, I wrestled with, I just wrestling with this in prayer with the Lord, I was like, okay, God, I, I feel like you may be calling me to another church, but what do I do with the love thing? Like, I love this church. This is my family. This isn't a job. I, I can't separate being a pastor from loving the church. To me, they're like, I don't know how you separate those. If I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to be in love with my church. And I've had 20 years to fall in love with this church. It's really deep. And so going to another church, I mean, it kind of felt like I was having like a a church affair. I mean, it felt weird. (laughs) Maybe that's not appropriate. It felt felt like a betrayal a little bit. And it was a question like, how can I love them? I don't even know them. So I went and visited them and, you know, visiting the church and funny thing happened. I met brothers and sisters. And I was like, and, and it was as if the Lord said to me, I didn't hear a voice, but I felt like the message I was getting from the Lord is, hey, Jeremy, they're part of the same family. It's, this, it's one church underneath it all. Yeah, this side of heaven, we meet in local congregations, but ultimately it's one family. They're the same brothers and sisters. And, and if you were to go with me there, you would love them too. And if they came here, you would love them. We're called to love one another. And it just comes out. And so it's like, oh, love isn't limited by, by congregational boundary lines. <laughs> it's, it's God's love in us for each other. Maybe you're here from another church. Maybe you transplanted. And a lot of you here are transplant. Some of you here. If you're a transplant, maybe you had that weird experience of coming from another church. It's really hard coming to a new church because then you're like, oh, this isn't like my old church. Oh, my old church did this and this. I like that. Why don't they do that here? And, and you have that, that hard experience of coming to a new church where it's different and all. And I guess I would just encourage you, as a person who's about to transplant myself, to, to just kind of lay aside those expectations from your other church and instead just let yourself love the people who are in front of you. You know, the, us, us strange New Englanders, just learn to love. And you'll find that there are brothers and sisters here. It's a different church. Maybe it's run a different way, but underneath, it's the same people of God, and we're called to love one another. Well, therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, in light of this, because you've been born again, because you have this new thing inside of you, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Grow up again. So loving each other is not about manufacturing feelings for each other. That's not what loving each other is about. It's not like, all right, you guys, love more. Okay, you know, okay, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to love. That's not how it works. If you're born again, it's already in you. So it's more a matter of just kind of letting it out, going with the spirit that's in you. Just let the love come out. Get rid of the stuff that's blocking it. It's in you. You don't have to make it happen because you have the Holy Spirit and, and you're part of this new birth. You just have to get rid of the junk. 
Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, rid yourselves of all. And notice all these words here. These are all relational sins that are the opposite of love. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Get rid of the, the unloving ways of interacting. Even, as, even though we're born-again Christians, like we still lived in this world for a while, didn't we? And we still have all these bad habits that we picked up from the world and from our families and from our own sin nature. And you just got to unlearn those. It takes time. But here's Paul, or rather Peter, talking to born-again Christians, being like, get rid of that old junk. As you look at verse 1, any of those words speak to you? Do you see any malice in your heart or deceit? Do you find yourself in relationships fudging the truth? Are you hypocritical? Are you two-faced? Do you, when you're talking to other people in relationships and you see their life, do you envy it? Do you slander people behind their back? The list could go on. Are you impatient with people? Are you irritable with people? Are you unkind? I'm not unkind. I'm just, I'm just direct and blunt and I speak the truth. No, you're kind of a jerk. <laughs> and you're just calling it being honest. But you're not kind. Where's the kindness? Are you, are, do you hold grudges? You know, like, whatever. Like, and then, then I love this. It's, it's so hopeful. He says, get rid of it. Isn't that cool? I could get rid of it. Because... I'm born again. There's power within me. I can get rid of it. What if, you know, what's the one thing that next month you would love to pray that God would get rid of in terms of relational patterns that are sinful and, and not glorifying to God? Pick one thing. Maybe something I said. Maybe another was coming to your mind. And just make that your prayer this next month. Lord, I want to get rid of my criticalness. Lord, I, I don't want to be this judgmental, critical person. I've been this way for years. Lord, I want to get rid of it. Let the new birth fill me with love. And then verse 2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And instead of that old junk, feed on the pure spiritual milk. What is the pure spiritual milk, by the way? What is that? Scholars disagree. A lot of scholars think it's God's Word. I, I tend to think that this pure spiritual milk is just Jesus Himself. Because he says, you've tasted that the Lord is good. Certainly, it's through God's word that we experience the Lord. But I think Jesus is he's the bread of life. He's the water of life. And it's as we taste more of Jesus and his love for us that, that he fills us so that we can get rid of the old and we can walk in the new way of love. And, and we've been born again and now we can grow up again. And we all need to keep growing up again as Christ fills our hearts as we taste and see that the Lord is good. Sadly, we live in a culture that no longer sees that the Lord is good. We live in a culture that no longer believes that the Bible is good. We live in a culture that increasingly does not believe that the biblical understanding of right and wrong is good for us. And, and so that the world is holding Christianity further at arm's length in, our, in the culture that we experience. And, and we can react to that in one of two ways. You know, we can become defensive. That, I think that's sometimes our initial reaction is like, oh no, what's going on with our country? Oh no, time to form the castle and man the walls. <laughs> you know, put up the, the ramparts and get the spears and the bows on the wall and we're going we're gonna to hold the line against the barbarians coming in. <laughs> 
And we're, we're going to stand for it because they're coming and they're going to destroy us and overrun us. And we can get this sort of defensive, hostile posture toward a hostile culture. But that's, that's not the way of love, is it? Here's a different approach. What if instead of the church as a big fortress and castle, what if it's more like a, a, a cottage or a house or a cape uh, with, with big windows, lots of glass, on a cold night where, where warmth and light and laughter is, is sort of shining out of the house into the darkness? And the world can see it, can see the love that we have for one another inside as, as we learn more and more how to love each other. What if it's more like uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, where Ebenezer Scrooge got taken by the ghost of Christmas present to Bob Cratchit's house? Bob Cratchit, that employee that he treats so poorly, right? And, and here, he, he looks in the window of Bob Cratchit's house, really a hovel. Bob Cratchit's not very wealthy because Ebenezer Scrooge is such a tightwad. And there's poor Bob Cratchit. But, but Scrooge looks in the window and there's light and there's love. They don't have a lot, but there's so much caring and kindness between them. And little tiny Tim has got all his problems and they love him. And at the one point in the story, Bob Cratchit's wife starts trashing Ebenezer Scrooge, starts trash-talking him at the table. And, and, and Bob Cratchit will have none of it. He's like, no. And, and he, he says, kind words about Scrooge. It's crazy. It's like, how could you say kind things about him? And there's Scrooge listening in on all of this. Could it be that what the, the world is going to need as it just goes off into madness, I, I just feel sometimes that our culture is losing its mind. And as it descends into madness and darkness, that one of the greatest things we can do is to be a community that shines a kind of love out into the world as even just the way we love each other and as the world looks in, it will see something different. For by this, all men will know that we are Jesus' disciples if we love one another. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us that has changed us. Lord, this is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us. Lord, thank you for giving us a new birth. We're no better than anybody else. But Lord, you've done something to us. You've made us born again, and now there's love in us. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone here would experience this new birth, the wonder and amazement of it. And God, I pray that you would help us who are born again to grow up again in love. Lord, we have a ways to go. We, we still have patterns and habits of relating that are unloving, and we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would gently put his finger on those patterns and that we would get rid of them and that we would learn how to love more. God, I pray for brothers and sisters here that we would love each other in this church. Lord, that you would give us opportunities to care for each other and and minister to each other. Lord, Lord, I pray for, uh, for wounds in the church between people that there would be forgiveness and grace. Oh God, let us grow in love. Help us to become more loving. Help us to, to change our perspective from being consumers to being providers and, and providers in a family. Oh God, work in this church, I pray. And, and may it be that the thing that really convicts the world about the reality of Christ 
it would be by the way that we treat each other through the love of the gospel. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.